0: This week on The Higher Ed Shift, I'm joined by Will Patch, Senior Enrollment Insights Leader at Niche Education. Prior to joining Niche in 2019, Will spent nine years at Manchester University in a variety of roles. He served as an admissions counselor, associate director of admissions operations, social media coordinator, and ultimately as a digital strategist Today, he shares with us details of a recent survey niche completed of nearly 20,000 high school seniors. We discuss when high school students really start the college search process, how they react to sticker price, and broader trends in when and how many schools they apply to. We round out the conversation discussing how colleges can begin to overcome student perceptions of affordability with their communication strategies as prospective students have become increasingly more sensitive about sticker price. I hope you will join us and enjoy the conversation with Will. Please see the show notes for his contact information and more information about the surveys that Will references in this interview. Hello, and welcome back to The Higher Ed Shift. I'm Amy Glynn, VP of Student Financial Success at Campus Logic. Today I have with me Will Patch, Senior Enrollment Insight Leaders at Niche Education. Thanks for joining me today, Will. Yeah, thank you,
1: Amy. I'm excited to be here.
0: Oh my gosh. I, you know, when you and I chatted the other day for the first time, I told you how excited I am because I feel like I know you through the Twitter-verse, <laughs> and it's like I just jumped into a call with you, like we knew each other. And all of a sudden, I realized it was the first time we were talking,
1: yeah. it It's one of those interesting things that you can feel like you really know people and you've been talking to them for years. and then, and even now, it's like, well, you're still ahead in the box, but still <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're a, I feel like we're a step closer,
1: yeah, yep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it it is crazy the way the way everything has evolved through social media and technology and starting to get to know each other. And the way I think it's allowed all of us to expand our network and the people we have access to is totally amazing. So.
1: Yeah. I mean, growing up in rural Indiana, you're you're not going to have the type of exposure if you don't have this type of connection. And it's just been, it's been awesome to see it kind of grow and, uh, Yeah. It's just, it's so great to actually get to talk to you in person instead of typing.
0: Yeah. Love it. And we have way more than 180, 200 characters to do it now. We get to, we get to talk to people for 40 minutes here. Yep. So I'd love to have you start just by introducing yourself to those of our listeners that maybe haven't met you before. Um, So if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and of course about niche.
1: Yeah. Thanks. So I've, I've been at Niche now for about two and a half years. Uh, my role is basically: how do I take all this enormous amount of data that we have and make it tactical? How do I help provide more value and, and work with a large number of institutions? Uh, that's one of the the cool things. That's what drew me to Niche. I I'd been at my alma mater, Manchester University, for nine years. I loved it. Uh, you know, I started out as a recruiter on the road, driving all over Ohio and East Central Indiana and then took over admissions operations and throughout there was running social media and then finally digital strategists. So I was doing our SEO UX work, uh, you know, all the digital marketing, social marketing, worked with institutional research. You know, I loved what I was doing, Mm -hmm. but you see one school really, really well. And now I get to work with, you know, we have over 2000 partners. So getting to work with an enormous number of schools and K-12s and you know, all over the U S all over the world, what's going on, what trends are they seeing? How are their offices set up? You know, it's just, I feel like I've grown faster than I ever have, uh, which is, which is fun. That's why I like doing.
0: Yeah. Oh Uh, my gosh. I had no idea that kind of our trajectory was so similar in moving from um, an institution into to the type of role that we're we're both in today, where we support support a lot of different institutions, and and I felt the same way. Yeah. It's like I can, you know, when when you work at one school, you can only impact so many student lives, mm-hmm. but when you come to, out to to being with a technology or a school partner, um, where we get to work with multiple institutions, it's just mm-hmm. exponential.
1: Yeah. And there are times I've, I've helped with onboarding calls where, you know, one morning I'm talking to a small Baptist college in in Alabama or Georgia. And, you know, later that afternoon, I'm talking to a public flagship and it's just, I mean, things are so wildly different, but you're learning something every call. Um, So
0: wildly different, but so similar.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, the, the goals the needs in some cases, the way they talk about themselves are very similar uh you know it's it's just different scales you know you have a team of one who's struggling with not having enough funding and you have a team of 35 and struggling with not having enough funding (laughs) and uh you know it's it's the same types of problems
0: yeah totally there's never enough time money or resources to do everything that we want to do for sure
1: yep yep you you have a hundred things that you need to do and never enough time to do them uh, as far as who niche is, uh, niche is the most visited preschool through grad school search platform. Uh, on the college side, we support over twenty seven million students and families uh, as they research, visit, and apply. You know one of the things that I really appreciate, you know our guiding principles are that we want to make the college search easy, transparent, and free. You know it needs to be provide all the information you can to students, but don't make them pay for it. We've worked with over two thousand schools and we help them build these, strong, genuine connections with students that are helping nurture those interests into visits, applications, ultimately enrollments. And then we do that through digital marketing, market intelligence. Uh, so we have a lot of data, as I mentioned, um, then inquiries and prospects as well.
0: I love that work. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today, right? Yep. So a few months ago, because I was late to, to the ball game, um, you released some new research based on a survey of high school seniors, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay. That was our sixth annual seniors enrollment survey.
0: So can you, um, can you provide a level set for listeners about the survey? Maybe tell us um, about mm-hmm. the survey, the respondents and for those that just haven't seen it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so this was the sixth annual next senior survey. Um, this year we had just shy of 20,000 responses. So a, a good audience there, they did very similarly. They were slightly more diverse than the U S population that matches sort of who's, who's on niche as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when we look at the economics and we look at in terms of parent education, it looked very similar to what you see in the U S so it, it was a good representation. One of the things actually, that will be coming out on the 25th. We have even more research. We do about seven to eight research projects a year. So on Monday, actually, for those who listen to this, I guess, when it drops, we'll have our class of 2022 fall survey. So sort of our fall benchmark of the senior class. And we had exactly 12,000 respondents. I don't know how we hit 12,000 exactly. On the dot? <laughs> on the dot. <laughs> <laughs> I I had to keep double checking. It's like... did okay, how did this happen?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's normally when you see those round numbers, you're like, hmm. Yeah,
1: yep. That made me wonder, but it just turned out that of, of completed qualified responses, it was exactly 12,000. So
0: Wow, that'll be amazing. Yeah, we will definitely, since our show will publish on Tuesday, we would love to share that link in the show notes with, with listeners so they can get the the most up-to-date kind of content. Let's think in a little bit to what you've found out. So with any major purchase, the journey begins with our consumers starting to think about what they they want to purchase and investigate their options. What did you guys learn about when students are starting their college search?
1: Yeah, I I like that framing. So You know, we typically talk about enrollment funnel or the customer journey. Mm -hmm. I like to think of it as a, as a dance, even like a Congo line, because there's some movement backwards, forwards, you know, it's, it's not, you know, I, I like the visual of the funnel, but I've never liked it being someone who grew up around cars all the time, because what does a funnel do? Gravity brings everything down. You know, if you're, if you're pouring some oil into the top of the funnel to work on your car, you don't expect some of it to hang out at the top forever. I'm, I'm a little concerned if that happens. Yeah. So in terms of, of students so moving back away from our, our funnels, but we saw that most students don't actively start. And that, that's the an important thing. When do you actively start researching colleges? That doesn't start until summer before senior year for majority of students. You know, that's yeah. a lot of people are, you know, I, I'm someone who through our program at, at a school, I I actually took the SAT as a seventh grader. And so I started getting things from colleges as a seventh grader, and I wasn't looking at colleges yet. And now that's I'm, early. Yeah, that's way too early. But I, I had a box of college recruiting things, you know, even though I was not actively searching. Mm-hmm. We saw only 13% of students say that they started their sophomore year earlier. So all, if you're investing a bunch of resources into mail and prospecting for these freshmen, sophomores, seventh graders, you know, I just... I have a really hard time imagining that's a good use of resources. Mm -hmm. So for those who are, and I'm big on this, going for inquiries more than prospects, until we get into that late junior senior year, focusing on the quick responses for those inquiries. How do we have, you know, these very timely, relevant responses? And that's that's a big one. So if you have an inquiry form on your biology page. Your inquiry response to that should be about the biology program first and foremost, because that's where that student was. Mm -hmm. If you have one on the financial aid page, speak to financing, speak to scholarships, speak to affordability. But if you have just a general inquiry form that lives everywhere, you're losing that ability to provide that relevance. And from secret shopping, I can't tell you the number of times that I fill out an inquiry form and the first response I get is apply today. You know, students know how to apply. If they want to apply, if they were ready to apply, they would have applied. Yeah. They're asking for information. Think of it. It's an inquiry form or an RFI, a request for information. If you don't respond with information, answering their questions, why in the world do you have that form there?
0: Yeah. The information I wasn't looking for was apply today.
1: Yeah. To to your point,
0: right? Like if I ask for information (laughs) on the financial aid page, I'm worried about how I'm going to pay for this.
1: Exactly. I want more information <laughs> about that. If you know, and you can do this on every single page. I think uh, athletics tends to do it well because they typically have their own recruiting machine. Where if I'm on the basketball page and I fill out a recruiting form, you know, they speak to me about basketball. They don't respond saying, "Hey, did you want more information about the math program?" That's not what I'm here for.
0: <laughs> right? No, no, totally not.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, well, yeah, okay, but I filled out a recruiting form. I'd like to talk about this first, and then let's talk about that. Then let's get to financial aid. Then let's get to, but if I fill out a form asking for information about X, I want to know about that first and foremost.
0: And I think it it, it goes very heavily to what students are telling us and what they are used to growing up in the age of a highly personalized world, even mm-hmm. where our algorithms are giving them things they want before they even know that they want it. When you yeah. When you look at there's some crazy stat and it's like over 80% of the content consumed on Netflix is offered through the algorithm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean,
1: you're, you're being told what you'll want to watch next. You'll be told what based on your behaviors. And we are not great at that.
0: Yeah. It's, de- it's definitely a place where we can, we can gain strength.
1: One other piece here. So connecting the, the student price sensitivity, which is, I know we'll talk about that as a big part of it this is a question I've been trying to refine over the last couple of years. And I think I've, I've hit something that gets at, at this, the later that students started, Mm -hmm. the more sensitive they were to price, the more likely they were to rule out colleges based on the sticker price. So we asked not just did you eliminate colleges based on the sticker price, not the final price, right. Based on that published total cost. and, And that's where we see the majority of students actually eliminating colleges and choosing not to apply before they ever you know even even take a look at anything else based on that sticker price the later well, they start the more sensitive they are
0: you know as as you're talking about that like logically it's it makes sense to me because when mm-hmm. we look at the students that are later or more delayed in the college going process. And when I think about FAFSA completion data that I've looked at in the past, there's a tendency for lower income and first generation students to be submitting the FAFSA, at least later in the cycle, which suggests that they can be delayed because of their exposure and their education around the college going process, but also that they, they could potentially have been derailed a little bit because of their concern about paying for college. And, and so the two seem really closely linked. So as we talk about that, let's keep going down the shopping journey. Yeah. So like, like you're talking about, um, so the next step is applying to school. What new information or trends did you see when, where, and how how many applications a student submitted? I know that's a huge question. So you can narrow it yeah. down and just talk to any portion. This,
1: this was an interesting one because, you know, this is the sixth year. So we have some some interesting trends yeah. here. This was the first time that we saw more students applying to 10 or more colleges than to just one or two. And that's the that's first a lot. time. lot. Yeah. Yeah. There was a spike this year in student in the number of colleges. So with, not only this year did we see fewer students applying to colleges, we saw them applying to more colleges.
0: So less students
1: apply to more,
0: but more applications.
1: Yeah. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what yields looked like this year. Super competitive. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, and this is where, when we start looking at applications and the student price sensitivity in terms yeah. of, I only considered colleges under 10,000, or I would consider up to 50,000, or I would consider, you know, It produced a U curve. That was really unexpected. So the students that who are only considering under ten thousand, you know, a lot of them were only applying to one college. But we saw the same thing on the opposite end: the students who were willing to consider up to seventy thousand a year, eighty thousand a year, where you get into the very most expensive, they were also only applying to one or two colleges. Hmm. It's that middle. If you're looking at the thirty to forty, up to thirty forty thousand dollars a year, that's where they were applying to a lot of schools. I would have expected a little bit more linear. That yeah. if you're if you're willing to consider really expensive, you might also want to cast a little bit wider net, just in case the financial aid doesn't come through. Does you know? And part of that, we we looked at. Well, before I, before I go there, half of students who only applied to one college. So I just looked at breaking down who are these students who applied to one college only half of them would only consider colleges under 20,000. So they're looking typically most of those one college students were looking at the less expensive. Mm -hmm. And then we had this lull for sort of the middle ground and then back up again at the most expensive. But when we looked at household income, you know, you, you might make some expectations based on that U curve. The only differentiator was for students in the highest income quintile. So over $130,000 a year households, that was, you, you might make a a guess here that when I tell you the students willing to consider the most expensive colleges only applied to one or two. Well, if I ask you, what would you expect them to see for the wealthiest students? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Probably, you know, a pretty narrow list. No, these were the students who were applying to the most colleges. So there's students who are in these middle incomes who are willing to consider these most expensive colleges and only are applying there, which is, that feels like you're setting yourself up for disappointment at that point.
0: Yeah. I wonder what's driving that.
1: It's, it's this reach of, I would, I would have to, you know, at this point we have to make some assumptions, but (laughs) uh, that's half the fun. Yeah, totally
0: um, opinion here at this point. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, there there's people who they're they're that near ultra wealthy people. They're they're, you know, they they want to be these other people, you know, their family is upper middle class, you know, maybe they're making a hundred thousand a year, which is a lot of money. That's twice the median household income, you know. But they're saying, but I want to be in that next tier. so I'm going yeah. to go to that type of college. I want to, I want to be like them. You know, I don't know that I I can afford it.
0: It's a prestige stretch.
1: Yeah. Yep. It's, I want to be able to say I do this yeah. because there's always that prestige of, you know, I send my kid to a $40,000 a year high school. There's that, there's everything. There's a lot of things that we can point to that are prestige moves.
0: And I wonder from an affordability standpoint, because like you're saying, though, though that's twice the median, I mean. The reality is it's not enough to just be able to write a blank check for your yeah. child to go to school. So maybe these people are leaning heavily on large plus loans or, or something yeah. like that to close gap.
1: Yeah. And when when I say this, so a quarter of all students applied to 10 or more colleges, you know, that that's a lot of students, but 38% of our highest income students did 38% of them. So over a third applied yeah. to 10 or more colleges.
0: That is mind blowing to me to, to still have that many options on the table. And as, as we're talking about, you know, the funnel that we don't want to talk about or the conga line, how, how schools continue to differentiate and to connect with students post application, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: the job isn't even halfway over at that point. Is it?
1: Yeah. I think another thing here with this could, since we're talking about the prestige measures, the student, the family, the school likes to be able to say, oh, my son, my daughter, my child was accepted to these schools. Not necessarily they, they're interested in going there, but to be able to say, oh, he was accepted to, or she was accepted to, or they were accepted to Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Stanford, you know, yeah. what have you. OK, so they were accepted to seven colleges, but they're only going to where are they actually interested in going. And, and schools like to be able to tout, well, we had students accepted to these colleges. And you see that marked it a lot.
0: That is very true from a high school, even like you're talking about the high school brand or prestige. I hadn't thought about that playing in into the mix of things and maybe what students are being encouraged through counseling services, maybe to apply to a lot more institutions.
1: Yeah. Yep. And yeah, there's just a, there's a lot of things we can go into there of, well, who is this? Who is it helping? Because there's no, there's no need for these students to be applying to 10 colleges. If feels like it
0: overcomplicates.
1: yeah. It, it adds stress then of actually making that final decision. You know, if, you know, if I'm someone who I, my parents were upper middle-class cause they both had, they're both teachers, but you know, that, that puts you kind of in a, a funny zone of, mm-hmm. you know, you're not making a lot, but you're making enough to be okay. And I, I paid for college and, but I, you know, I didn't apply to all that many colleges because you know i felt like okay i can i can i'm applying to schools that i'm pretty confident that i can pay for between scholarships and working you know i didn't really feel that need to apply to a bunch of colleges but i also didn't feel like i was so confident that i would just apply to one you know these students i'm guessing could go to a lot of the colleges that they were applying to mm-hmm. so why so many
0: i also wonder and um, you know I want to. I want to talk about the cost factor here. Um, but I'm just as a thought. Um, honestly, the thought just flew out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> so we will come back to it if it should ever come back into my mind. But I. I'll keep an eye big,
1: out the window if it makes it to Indiana.
0: I had a brilliant <laughs> idea. Um, <laughs> I will shift gear a little bit. Uh, to talk about the impact of cost, sticker price, and even financial aid on the search and enrollment process, you've oh. you've hinted at some of this a little bit about students um, eliminating more institutions based on price sensitivity. That's totally my bag. So so, talk to me a little bit about what we learned there.
1: Yeah. So you, you always want to talk about, you know, when you're on the college side, you want to talk about the affordability. What's the Mm -hmm. net price? What do we, what students actually pay? You love to talk about the discount, the generous financial aid, but when students see the sticker price before you ever get to talk to them, are they going, you know, not even bother inquiring, applying. So Mm -hmm. this is something that, that we've been asking you know, for the class of 2021, 73% of students said they eliminated colleges based on the sticker price. Pre-pandemic, that was in the mid-50s. Uh, last year was actually, so 2019, the class of 2020 was actually the first time that we saw the majority of students in every income quintile eliminated colleges based on the sticker price. So even these wealthiest students are eliminating based on that sticker price. For the class of 2022, so far, I mean this is just an early benchmark, but 75% have said that they're eliminating based on. So it's continuing to go up.
0: I mean, that's huge. Yeah. This population, I mean, we've been talking about the enrollment crisis or the enrollment cliff for years now, and it's specific to this high school population that we're talking about who are proving to be more and more price sensitive. So yeah. we have a shrinking number of students to to attract to colleges and then if we we have 70 73% who are eliminating our institutions just on the sticker price it feels like the pricing model in college is maybe doing more damage than good right now
1: yeah well i mean i always think of it as it's something that one it's the first big purchase the student considers mm-hmm. you know, it's when you're used to, well, do I want to buy this pair of shoes? Am I going to buy that backpack, this phone? You know, things can seem expensive, but relatively speaking compared to college, a car, a home, they're dropping the bucket things. Yeah. Um, so it's the first big purchase they have to consider. They also, it's priced unlike anything else. So if I go into a burger place and I see that it's going to be a $3 burger, I wouldn't expect to get a bill that says $1.50. It says $3, I expect to pay $3, right? You know, you don't go in expecting to not know what you pay until the end, which is what college does. You go yeah. in up front and say, "Yes, I'm interested in this. I'd like to I'd like to place my order with this application." Oh, but then I'm not going to know how much I'm going to pay until April, May, you know, in some cases, okay, that's, that's a little bit different than what we're used to. And when half of students, yeah, only half of students. So they even consider applying to a college over 30,000. There's, especially when you get to the East and West coast, there's a lot of colleges over 30,000.
0: There are a lot of college. Yes, there definitely are. And how do we, all right. So students are starting the shopping process later. Yep. And they're eliminating due to sticker price at a higher rate. So we have this compressed time frame to try and engage with students and try and explain like the complexity of pricing and availability of aid. What tactics are you seeing schools implement to do this well? How do we start to Overcome
1: this. Yeah. You know, I I think it's just rarely addressed head on, is is part of the problem. Uh, You know, we want to kind of dance around it and talk about affordability and generous aid and all this, but we don't typically tackle it head on. Um, And we don't really tackle it with students and parents early enough. We wait Mm -hmm. until they are in our funnels and in our communication flows, and then we start talking about us specifically. There's not enough sort of education to change hearts and minds. And that takes time. You know, we're not really doing a lot. You don't see a lot talking about, you know, talking to middle schoolers and having this education-based curricula of what does it actually mean? Here's what to expect. You know, you hear a lot of talking heads yelling about how expensive college is and college isn't worth it, which are both not all that true because, you know. If you, if you buy a new car, which typically costs more than what students are paying for college, you know, you're going to wind up losing money on that car. And as Mm -hmm. opposed to college, gaining you a lot of income, gaining a lot of perspective, you know, you're going to meet people from outside of your small community. I think some of the ones that do things interestingly, I think that's better than saying, well, because I don't know that there's a one size fits all. Yeah, uh, But you have like the Berea colleges of the world where they promise no tuition. And that's that's one that is a very interesting model. It's it's very mission driven. It's They do some very interesting things. I suspect, though, that a lot of people will say oh, they're going to be skeptical. They won't go and wonder what's the fine print, all that. Yeah. Uh, you have the Grove Cities with no unfunded discounting. So it's a what you see is what you get. Any aid is funded. It's not the 60% tuition discounts you have Purdue approaching it differently with their tuition freeze since 2012, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's addressing it because there's always that, well, we can make it work this first year. Okay. What's going to happen when tuition goes up 3%, 5% every year. One that I think if I can give a shout out to Tom Voller, Burdan up at college of St. Benedict St. John's part of their Com flow. Is a piece specifically addressing cost? A hitting those pain points head-on. He just does a their their teams do a great job, really getting at that.
0: Can Can I ask how early they're doing that in the in the student engagement process?
1: That I'd have to ask him. I so I I actually came across that as part of my uh, secret shopping. So I was I was playing the part of a senior, okay. uh, but it's it's something that. Uh, yeah, I mean I would I would address it earlier. So if someone mm-hmm. inquires as a sophomore, come at it head on, and say, here's, you know, here's how students are paying for college, here's what it actually costs, here's what the sticker price is versus what students pay, you know, being very transparent.
0: Yeah, I would say that my most unpopularly held view in higher education pricing and transparency it has to do a little bit with this shell game that i feel like we're we're playing around price and discounting and and i would like to see it reduced and and more transparency mm-hmm. generated early on i also think that there are some people in in my space in financial aid that feel uncomfortable or unempowered to actually Have conversations about net cost and true cost of the education out of fear that they're driving people out of the enrollment process. When the reality is, we have 73% of students who are opting out just based on the sticker price. Mm -hmm. Like, Like, this is students are already opting out. So it feels like we would get more benefit by empowering our, our higher ed professionals, especially those in financial aid to actually have this conversation and giving them the tools to have it well.
1: Yeah. We, the way things typically work now is build the affinity, you know, have them, have them fall in love with you. And then here's the bill. Yeah. I I would just love to see more of, okay, here's what you can expect to pay. If this seems doable for you now, let's build the affinity it just feels like such a better use of resources than having all these heartbreaks at the end that these kids love you, but they don't feel like they can't afford you or in the end, you know, you've spent all this time and energy on someone who was never going to be able to afford it in the first place.
0: Yeah, totally. And, and unfortunately, you know, like you're saying it's it leaves a bad taste in the the student's mouth there's a there's a really bad experience for the student and their and their family and support committee mm-hmm. but again personally i was the one stuck having those conversations a lot of times as i laid out cost and financial aid offers mm-hmm. and it is it is really gut wrenching to have a student who is in love with your college and the the environment of it and have them find out really late in the process that it's not a good financial match for them. Yeah. So it yeah. feels kind of like a failure.
1: Yeah. And there's just a lot that's been complicated further with COVID. Uh, you know, I, there, there's a student I thought I think of quite often actually in one of our early COVID surveys who said that in the past week, and this was, oh, geez, early April 2020. Who said that, in the past week, every adult in his family had lost their job? Yeah, so that's not just my parents were both laid off. every adult in his family. so someone who maybe was able to afford a lot of options all of a sudden, huge question marks thrown up, yeah, you know, even even someone who hasn't experienced that, i I just have a hard time imagining students don't have that hesitation, have that stress of you know what happens if Yes, things are stable right now, but what happens if?
0: Yeah. Well, and and you think about the fiscal disruptions that our current college-going generation has gone through, through mm-hmm. the 08 um, housing, you know, housing and economic crisis that we had to to the financial implications of COVID, mm-hmm. to your point, they've they've actually witnessed a lot of family and national economic trauma. Which I think we need to start to take into account a little bit more as as we think about their acceptance in in how much college costs and and what students are open to even considering from a debt perspective.
1: Yeah, because you they're getting hit all the time with these misleading figures of hundred thousand debt, and that's not the norm at all. That's advanced degrees. That's you know, that's not what four-year degree-seeking students are coming out with.
0: I mean, you and I talk in the same language right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I feel like we could go on for hours.
1: I have so many soapboxes I can pull out and just stand up here and rant, but. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh, me too. The only problem is then I start stacking them on top of each other and it's like a game of Jenga going on. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So would love as we kind of wrap up, based on the insights that the survey provided, what is one thing you think schools should start doing immediately? And what is one thing you think colleges should stop doing immediately?
1: You know I think the the one thing that they should start, and this is a total team effort, take a critical look at that sticker price mm-hmm. and the net price and what actually costs to provide the education and say, okay, can we rethink what we're doing? I, I mean, as as former CFO, you say no margin, no mission. you know you can't just charge everyone exactly what it costs because you can't move forward that way. Mm-hmm. but, You know, discounting 60% just doesn't make sense either. If you bring down that sticker price, if you can bring in more students who previously ruled you out, what does that look like for the institution and do some modeling, you know, I've seen, I think we've all seen these tuition resets. They don't always go well, Mm. but that's when it's one at a time. And typically they bring the price right back up again. You know, so that's where I, I like these ideas of like a Grove City where it's okay. Here's the true cost, and then you, anything else is funded from somewhere. You know, I think if they the the things to stop then stop hiding the pricing, stop making it hard to find, start having these hard conversations earlier, and just stop trying to wait until the very end. You know that that puts a lot on counselors too who aren't always the most confrontational people and -hmm. and aren't always the best at having these hard conversations. And when you put that on 22, 23, 24 year olds to have these hard financial conversations with families, I have to know that that is creating some burnout right by itself. So having the conversations up front so that you can really build that affinity later and really have the students who are going to really actually be able to show up on campus, fall in Mm -hmm. love with you, that's That's got to be a better feeling.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, you know, not only does that transparency lead to better outcomes in first year enrollment, but I I have witnessed and wholeheartedly believe that it then impacts retention and completion. Yes. Um, you know, people, people, if someone's surprised year one, they may make it work. Um, but most of the time that does not carry forward into year two and yep. can result in just huge retention issues for the institution. Yep. Absolutely love it. I hope that you are willing. I heard you say you have reports and research that comes out seven times a year. I think that means you're coming back.
1: I, I'm very happy to.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So as we, as we wrap up, how can our listeners get a hold of you, connect with you online, follow you? What is the best way to do that?
1: So if you're on LinkedIn, you can find me there. It's just Will Patch, the name that's a verb. Uh, you know, you can find me on Twitter. It's at Will underscore Patch. If you want to keep up with all the niche research and everything there, uh, it's at Niche Insights. And then email is just Will.Patch at niche.com. And i am very happy to have more conversations and meet and chat and have virtual tea and coffee and all that good stuff.
0: Absolutely. And I I encourage people to to follow Will. He's got some amazing insights. Appreciate you coming on and sharing with us today. We're going to link all of that contact information in the show notes. Um, and I just encourage everybody to share this episode with your network. If you have feedback thoughts, we would love to hear from you comment, um, or, or reach out to Will or I directly. And we're happy to continue these conversations and, uh, we hope to have you join us again for the next episode of the higher ed shift.
1: Thank you. It's been great.